comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Listen to these words of Paul. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Will you pray with me? Father, in these moments, we ask that you would come and speak your truth through your Holy Spirit to us. Admittedly, we we enter this uh, sanctuary and this place of worship with with many things on our hearts and, and many things on our minds and each of us in, in different places. <clears throat> each of us dealing with things of this world and things of this life that would very easily serve to distract us today. Things of this world and things of this life that for some of us, if we would be honest, have taken priority over our daily relationship with you and trying to find the margin to make our lives stronger and healthier biblically. So God, we we come here and we find this truly to be a place of sanctuary where we can offer you what our struggles are, where we can offer you what what is happening in our lives and we can find comfort and care and protection here. Pray, God, that we would open our hearts to you today. That we would listen to what you are saying. That you would allow us to have peace as we are obedient to your call. Come, Holy Spirit, teach us today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning once again. I feel like I have to start that way to get into my rhythm. Good morning. If you have your Bible, would you take it and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. The passage that I uh, just read for us will serve as our teaching text um, for this morning. Ephesians, chapter 5. As you come here uh, today, we are in week 3 of a four-part series that we've, we've called Margin. And um, what our hope has been over this, this series, our goal of this series, is that we would all take a moment 
and look at our own lives and ask the question, have we any margin in our lives to grow? Is there any room in our hearts, any room in our lives as people to grow? Where is the margin of our lives? In the first week, Pastor Keith opened us up and, and helped us look at this from a, a foundational biblical point of view and, and asked the question, is there any margin in our lives to grow in Christ? Is there any margin in our lives to actually have a relationship with Him? And the teaching text he used was the story of Mary and Martha where Jesus visited the home and Mary sat at the feet of Christ taking in that experience while Martha hurried around the house trying to put everything in order and get things done. And she uttered a phrase that I often hear in my own house from my children, Will anybody help me? I don't know if you ever hear that in your house. And Jesus looked and he said, Mary has chosen the better thing. For in that moment, in that season, she was creating margin in her life to spend time with God, to grow in her faith, to work on her relationship. And so that was the foundation of the series as we kicked it off. Last week, Pastor Dave looked at the idea of margin in our schedules and our calendars and our time and in our boundaries. And do we have the courage to say no to things and create that space to grow? Today, what I want us to do is look at margin in our marriages. Do we have margin in our marriage for us to grow as a couple? Is there margin? Is there space? Is there room for us as a couple with everything that is going on in life, the pace of life, the busyness of life, with everything that seems to crash in around us and crash in against us? Have we as couples taken time to build margin into our relationship as a couple, husband and wife? Have we taken the time to build margin so that we can grow as a couple? Not only grow in our faith, but grow as a unit, as a family, as a home. Have we as a couple created margin to grow with each other? Have we established any margin in our marriage so that there's time for just the two of us? As we all know, without margin, our lives become full and, and hectic. Our lives are are pushed to the limit and, and every moment of every day is scheduled and even double booked. All too often, when that happens, all too often, the one relationship that suffers is our marriage. The relationship that gets cut. If I have to find room to cut in my day, if I have to find room to cut in my schedule, I'm going to cut the time and the space with my spouse so that I can get all of these other things done, all of these other plans accomplished, all of these other committees met, all of these other responsibilities handled. The world is moving and pulling and crashing in against us. And often the one relationship, the one uh, uh, relationship that we cut to create the opportunity to do more is the relationship with our spouse. Our marriages, our marriages are often the thing that is sacrificed first for other things. 
And we're well-intended people. I mean, we want to do good things. We want to be active in our community. We want to be involved in, in coaching Little League. And we want to be involved in PTA. And we want to be involved in, in helping our neighborhood watch program. I don't know what you guys do. But we're involved in all of these other things, noble and good things that we would call. And we, we put them into our calendars and we put them into our lives. And as we look at what we have to cut and what we have to manage and what we have to move and what we have to spread out and what we have to replace, often it's time with our spouse. Often it's our relationship. Often it's our marriage that gets cut. And I don't know if we do this consciously or subconsciously, but, but there's almost this idea or attitude of, well, that, that's okay. Because they will always be there, perhaps. We cut so that we can fill in. And the one thing that we often sacrifice for other purposes is our marriage. Now, if we're not careful, the patterns of our lives become the patterns in our marriages. And it becomes normal. It becomes normal to live as ships that pass in the night. It becomes normal to prioritize our work and our friends and our hobbies and our interests over and above our spouse. That's just normal. That's what everybody does. That's how you operate in this world. It becomes normal to, to rush home from work and, and just to grab something to eat and change your clothes and move on out of the house to other activities and, and other events. It becomes normal. That's the way we live. That's the routine. That's the rhythm of our life. It's normal. It becomes normal to equate quality time with our spouse, with an evening at home in the bedroom with toothpaste over the sink. That's quality time with our spouse. Hey, can you pass the toothpaste? Here. And you squirt it out, you brush your teeth. That's your quality time. That's what our marriages have become. Our marriages have become toothpaste over the sink at night. That's where we grow. That's where we have our conversation foaming at the mouth and drool coming out. That's what we've... Because that's normal. This is the only time I have. This is where I'm at. But I'm fairly sure that God has something different in mind when He ordained marriage as the foundation of the family. And the family is the foundation of society. Marriage is about two lives that are united emotionally and and physically and spiritually. Marriage is about two lives that, that come together. You see, there was a day. And I don't know what your day looked like, but mine was in mid May and it was really hot and unseasonably humid for that day. So much so that our cake fell at the reception, just toppled right up. I think somebody caught it. But But there was a day. There was a day when a husband-to-be stood at an altar. And his heart was filled with excitement. He stood at, a, at an altar in a church or, or on the shore of a beach or in the yard of, of a family home or in the, the courtroom of a, of a district justice somewhere. Somewhere a husband-to-be, a man 
stood with his heart filled with expectation and anticipation, wondering what this adventure would be like, hoping that his bride would come forth, just waiting and filled with with all this excitement of what could be. There was a day. There was a day when he looked down the aisle and the doors were opened and his bride came walking down. Her heart filled with anticipation. Her heart filled with what could be. Her heart filled with with the hopes and the dreams that they would share together. There was a day when she walked down and, and took his hand and put her arm into his arm. There was a day when they looked at each other. And they said, for better or worse, For richer or poor. There was a day when they looked at each other and they said, it doesn't matter what this world throws at us, baby, we're going to make it. Sounds like a bad 70s song, I'm not sure. (laughs) But there was a day. There was a day when, when they pledged their love in a covenant to each other to have and to hold. There was a day when two hearts became one when dreams were born and hope filled us all. We woke up together wide-eyed and and ready to take on the world. You woke up that next morning ready to take on the world because you were Mrs. Whoever and you were Mr. Whatever and you came together and you embraced your arms and you woke up that next morning and you said, we will take on the world. Watch out! It was a day. In the book of Ephesians, Paul describes God's design of marriage this way. He says in verse 21, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. This is a drop-in. It's for free. It's not in my notes. Some of you may have a Bible that... In your Bible, it breaks up different sections of teaching in the Scriptures. And in this particular teaching, it is common in a lot of different translations to have the marriage section of what Paul says begin in verse 22. Verse 21, for whatever reason, the editors feel like that ends a previous section. But I'm telling you this morning, if you want to find out what it's like to have a good, godly, biblical marriage, and you turn to the book of Ephesians, you better start with chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so as Paul writes this and he says submit to one another, he launches into what that looks like. Submit to one another. This is how a godly home and a godly family and a godly relationship works in marriage. Submit to one another. Now, as Paul writes, let me play that out for you. Let me show you what that looks like. Submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, 
love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wife. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, just as husbands love your wives, just as, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up, gave himself freely up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Verse 33, however, each one of you should, must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. In God's design of marriage, there is this mutual expression of submission. There is this mutual expression of love and support and respect for each other. There is this mutual relationship of two people working and living and acting together. When Paul writes, submit to each other, the idea is one of support and care. Submitting to each other is one of support. I'm going to support you. I'm going to care for you. Functionally, I live this out by coming underneath of you and helping you and carrying your burden and supporting you in what you go through. As he writes, submit to each other. It's about care. And we live in a culture and a society that has taken this word submit to two extremes. Creating scenarios where, where husbands are lording over their wives and the wife is a miserable weakling cowering behind her husband. That is not Paul's picture. And Hollywood, Hollywood has created an image and characterized husbands as bumbling idiots who can't form intelligent sentences or womanizing cads who can't be trusted. That's not God's picture of marriage. That's not God's picture of a relationship. That's not what it means to submit and to respect. It means to care for and to comfort and to carry each other. God never intended for people to feel, to feel like or be treated as second-class citizens. God never intended for people to be treated with disrespect. In fact, the gospel message is the antithesis of that. The complete opposite of Christ, of, of the culture's message is God's message. Jesus came to include everyone. The downtrodden, those who have been marginalized by society, those whom society says are second class citizens. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes and embraces everybody as one family. There is no class in the kingdom. There's family. 
And submission is never about I'm better than and you're behind and you walk 10 steps. And when I say move, you move. And when I need the channel changed, you walk in and change it. It's never about that. God's picture has always been one of care and support. God's picture has always been one about order and responsibility in a relationship. Guys, as we submit to our wives, gentlemen, as we submit to our wives, as we come under and care for and help our wives, we have a responsibility in our marriage to love our wives. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. And as Paul writes this, the love that he talks about, the love that is the foundation of the marriage, is not a physical eros love, and it's not this brotherly phileo love. It is a love that is founded on deep appreciation. It is love that is founded on, on deep caring. It is agape love. It is love that says, I look at my wife and I love her dearly. Our relationship is not built on the physical. Our relationship is not built on a friendship. Our relationship, our marriage is built, built on agape love where I look at her and I have love that is so deeply moving within me. That is what my relationship is built on. It's about deep affection. It is about being fond of that other person. It is to love someone dearly. That's the foundation of the marriage. Gentlemen, we have a responsibility in our marriages to ensure that we are keeping romance alive. The communication lines open. And we have a responsibility to hold our marriages together at whatever cost. We are to love our wives deeply, dearly, and affectionately. We should desire, we should desire to present our wives as pure and holy and blameless and spotless. When we walk out into the community, when we walk into a restaurant, when we walk through the mall together, we should present our wives as pure and lovely. I should have such a deep love for my wife and appreciation for her that how I treat her and how we interact with each other presents her to everybody that we see as someone who is lovely, as someone who is honorable, as someone who is pure, as someone who is holy. As Paul said, without spot or wrinkle, as Christ presents the church to the Father, we should present our wives to society and and culture as pure and lovely. This, my bride. And all of my words and all of my actions should enforce that and build upon that. 
I should never disrespect my wife purposefully in, in culture and in our society in public. I should never disrespect my wife in any way that would make her feel less than, other than, second class. I should never intentionally cast a word of discouragement on her as we are out. I should present her because I love her dearly. Someone who is spotless and blameless. That's my responsibility, to love her that way. John MacArthur writes that a husband is to submit to his wife, not in the sense of abdicating his leadership, but in the sense of helping her. Helping her to bear her burdens, carry her cares, meet her needs, and sacrifice his own desire, sacrifice my own desire for what she needs. I need to take that responsibility seriously. It's one of the roles that I play. And ladies, ladies, there's a sense of responsibility, of respect and support for the husband. My wife should respect me and, and love me and in return support the decisions and leadership I give to the family. And I know this to be true, that if I'm doing my job at loving her and honoring her and carrying her and supporting her and self-sacrifice for her needs, then it makes it easy for her to submit to my leadership and act in a way that loves and supports me in the family. You see, we make it easy. If I love and honor her, it is, it is natural, it's second nature for her to, to submit to the leading and the directing of the husband in the family. This, this mutually submissive relationship is God's design for marriage. MacArthur states that People in our society and in our world are reaching and groping, trying to find out how to make meaningful relationships work in a society that is crumbling around us. And they're doing it with no base of authority. We as Christians should set the example. We should set the standard by resembling the divine pattern that is given to us. Our marriages and families, he writes, should demonstrate a way of living that is rewarding and meaningful and fulfilling. And this is where margin comes in. This is where margin plays a part. If I have no margin in my marriage, then I have no space and I have no room to honor and to love my wife. If I have no margin in my marriage, I have no space and I have no time to build on this relationship, to work on the relationship together, to try to figure out what we're doing and where we're going. If there's no margin in our relationship, then I won't know how to love and support her. I won't know how to care and comfort her and to lift her up. If there's no room to grow with our spouse, then there's no room to work on love, on honor, on respect. There's no room to work on the difficulties and the pain and the hurt that comes into our lives. 
If there's no margin in our marriage, when your life crashes, how will we ever connect with our spouse to figure it out? We need margin in our marriage to work together. Our marriages, the Christian marriages, should resemble a relationship that is rewarding and meaningful and fulfilling. But something happened. Something something happened. The divorce rate among Christians is equal to that of those with no faith in Christ at all. Christian marriages are are just as dysfunctional as those that are outside the church. Christian men and women are are finding fulfillment and pleasure in other relationships and in online communities, on websites. They're cheating on their spouse and their family and their faith. Some are doing it in, in private and keeping it hidden, and some are just out flaunting it for the public to see. Something has happened. Something's happened at the, at the core of our homes. We've, we've lost the margin in our lives to love each other. We've lost the margin in our lives to, to submit to each other. We've lost the margin in our lives to work on our marriages. We've lost the margin in our lives to enjoy happiness together. We've lost the margin to comfort each other in sorrow and to scratch our way through poverty together and to sit back and enjoy the riches that we discover together. We've lost margin to be together. We've lost the margin. There was a day we stood at an altar and we held their hand and we said, for better or worse. And we left and we celebrated and we ate cake and we ate until we were full and some of you danced and some of you didn't because that's a thing. And, and then you went on and then you went on your merry way and life happened. And you turn around and you wonder, why, why is my marriage not great? I mean, I said I do, but now it doesn't feel right. Friends, great marriages don't just happen. Great marriages don't just happen. You don't say, I do, and turn around and live your own life separately, filling all the empty spaces with activities and organizations and, and this and that, and, and never coming together and working on your marriage. Great marriages don't just happen. They take work. They take a lot of work. They take hard work. Great marriages take a commitment. It was a covenant that you made that day when you held her hand, gentlemen, and you said, you are my bride. From this day forward, no one else. It takes work. It takes a commitment. And when you as the bride took his arm and walked out that room together, you made a covenant 
that said, no matter what, you are my groom from this day forward. No matter what. And it takes work. And it takes effort. And it's a challenge. And it's hard. And it's lousy at times. And it stinks at times. And there are moments and days when you wake up and you don't want to talk to the other person. That's when it takes work. And there are moments when you wake up and you can't wait to do whatever you're doing that day. There are moments when you want to go to port farms and frolic in the corn, which I don't understand. But she wants to do it with you. And with no one else. And when you don't want to, it takes work. When you face tragedy in your relationship, it takes work to work through that. It's hard. But there was a day when you made a covenant for better or worse. When we don't work on our marriages, our marriages die. Plain and simple when we don't work on something that is to be living and active and growing, when we don't work on our marriages, they die. And don't be ignorant today. Your drive for security and significance, your drive for acceptance and community, your drive for relationships and sex, those drives do not die. So when your marriage is dead because there's no margin in your life to work on your marriage, you will look to fulfill those desires someplace else or with someone else. Those drives and those desires that are born and birthed within you do not die. So when your marriage is dead, you will look for those points of meaning and significance and relationships and connection somewhere and with someone When each home that is dysfunctional or filled with turmoil and stress, with each one of those homes, if you're not working on that relationship, if you're not doing the hard work to plow through that, our children become the collateral damage. Children absorb the impact of the dysfunctional home and the home that's filled with turmoil and and the home that ends in divorce, children absorb that impact. Study after study shows the impact upon children. And I'm not talking about um, James Dobson focus on the family, George Barnes studies. I'm talking about Yale University, Duke University, studies that are outside of faith, studies that look at the lives and the scope of children, that, that watch children and the trajectory of their life from this point to on into their mid-30s, and it affects children. It affects the homes. There's collateral damage when the home is in turmoil, when the home is dysfunctional, and when the home ends in divorce, there's damage. We have parents who, instead of working on their relationship with their spouse, choose to sleep around with their co-workers. We have parents who are choosing to spend their free time instead of with their spouse, instead of with the family. They're spending their free time in their bars and getting drunk and inebriated and not at their homes. 
We have parents who are pursuing selfish ambitions. We have parents who are living only for themselves and only in for their mo- in the moment, only for themselves and looking back over their shoulders at their families that they're leaving behind and they're whispering and they're shouting all along the way, the kids are fine. The kids are fine. I'm going to go live this way and the kids are fine. spouse isn't fine. This is not God's intention for marriage. What's going on? What's what's going on in our culture and in our society? What's going on in our churches around this world? going on husbands husbands love your wives wives respect your husbands one of the things that's happened is we've simply lost the margin in our marriages to have the room and the space to work on our marriages to rekindle that romance to to rediscover each other, to mutually support each other in what we're going through. We're going 100 miles an hour in different directions and we wonder why we never connect. There's no margin for just us. In the first week of this series, my wife wrote this note um, as Keith was speaking and, and in the definition of margin, she wrote this, just some space to catch your breath. Marriage isn't just need some space to catch their breath. You as a couple need some space to get together and just catch your breath. Just breathe deeply. Just look at each other. And work on this relationship. We can blame our jobs and we can blame our schedules and we can blame all the sports and activities our kids are in. We can blame the fact that that husbands have guys' nights or the wives have ladies' nights and and we can point the finger and, and blame as many people and as many things as we want. When do we point the finger back to us? When do we look in the mirror and say, It's my fault. I take responsibility for this. In a good old country boy terminology, when when are we going to, when are some of us, when are we men, when are we going to cowboy up and raise our hand and say, it's my fault? My responsibility. When are we going to look in the mirror and say, something's got to change? I'm going to work on this. Look in the book of Ephesians, and I want you to look at verse 18. In this chapter, this fifth chapter of Ephesians, Paul is trying to explain, this is what it looks like to live the Christian life. The Christian life looks like this. And as he talks about it, and as he talks about the characteristics of the Christian life, 
He comes to verse 18, which I think serves as the anchor of this entire chapter. And after he says these words in verse 18, he then illustrates it further and he uses, he uses the, the context of marriage to illustrate it. But I think it, it, it anchors in verse 18 where he says this. He says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. He says, instead, and here's, here's the phrase, he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And I wonder, how would our marriages look different if we as couples, if we as husband and wife, were filled with the Holy Spirit? Instead of trying to manage life on my own, instead of trying to fix everything on my own, but I submitted myself to Christ and submitted myself to God, emptied my life of me and filled my life with God through His Holy Spirit. What would our marriages look like if we together made that covenant? What if we as husbands said, I'm going to be filled with the Spirit? Would that not change how we choose what things we do and what things we don't do? Would that not change how we look at our schedules and our time and our time with our spouse? Would not being under the conviction and the filling of the Holy Spirit radically change what our marriages look like? This idea of being filled with the Spirit is not just a one moment, one instance. Sometime back then, I remember I wrote the date on the book of my, on the front cover of my Bible. It's, it's not about a moment in time. It's not about back then. When Paul says be filled with the Spirit, he says continually, every day, continually, be filled continually. Every day, wake up and empty yourself of you and fill yourself with God and let God direct your life. Wouldn't it make sense that as we submit our marriages to God, it would be easier to find margin? I don't know what margin looks like for you, but I have some ideas. I'm sure that surprises you. Maybe for you, margin is the couple's therapy you're in right now or you're considering to enter. Because you can't keep living this way. And so for this moment, at this season of life, at this time, wherever you're at, this counseling, this biblical Christian counseling and therapy, this is exactly what you need right now. This is the margin you have to build in your life so that you can fight for your relationship. And you need to hold on to that. Maybe, maybe for some of you, margin looks like a lunch date that is cemented into your schedule. Now, I don't know where you work and I don't know all the nuances of your work schedule, but I'm guessing at some point and sometime somewhere down the road, somebody can brown bag it and get together with their spouse and go sit on the back of the company steps so you're not that far away from everything else that's going on around you and just spend maybe 20 minutes together over lunch once a week, once a month, once a quarter, once a year. Maybe you could cement that into your schedule. Maybe for you, margin looks like time with your wife talking on the couch at night. Maybe it looks like actually turning off um, Sean Hannity or 
what, I don't know what you guys watch, The Office or turning it off Monday night, football off. <laughs> Maybe this is something you want to do on Tuesdays, but you could. <laughs> what if you just turned it off and actually talked to your wife? Talked. Hi. How are you? Remember me? I'm your husband. What if you just talked? And you tried to figure out life by talking to each other instead of through post-it notes and, and emails and Facebook and, and, and sharing a toothpaste tube at night. What if you actually talked to each other? I know we need to talk at times because there are moments and there are times in our relationship where my wife talks and I hear the words that are coming out of her mouth. I have no clue what she's talking about. Huh? And if I don't create margin to deal with that, I'll never know what she's talking about. Perhaps margin in your life is this worship environment where this is so precious to you. You and your wife come together and you make this a priority. We will worship together. Perhaps for some of you, um, your, your sense of margin, one of the things you do in your life to build in margin for your relationship is that you're involved in a small group together. where you get together with other families in a small group to do life together in a small group, to study God's Word in a small group, to, to pray with each other and other couples in a small group. You get the idea that maybe a small group is important to the life of our church? I'm just throwing this out. Maybe you need to get connected with other people and you build margin into your life through small group environment. In fact, today... A little bit later this afternoon, after the Steelers win, um, my my wife and I we're getting together with our small group. We're getting together tonight with our group, and we're gonna we're gonna just talk and pray together. And and Jason leads it. I don't know what we're doing tonight. Something. And we're just gonna get together. And you know what? Because we love these people, and we're gonna share life together. Because you know what? I don't know all the answers to life, and. Maybe somebody else can help. We've created that margin. Maybe your idea of margin is is spending time away. And I, I mean by that is actually apart from each other. Planned time apart from each other. Where Where I got to go to the men's retreat last weekend and she was fully supportive of that. And that was a great experience. And I absolutely love the fact that I can help create margin in our lives so that my wife can get together with the other ladies in our small group and they can go shopping for a weekend. I love that. Because I'm only giving her $10 and it's not a big deal. (laughs) I love the fact that we have a relationship where I'm secure enough to let my wife go away. And I know that by doing that, it's healthy for her. And it's healthy for those other ladies. And the guys that will be left at home with our children to enjoy our children, and we'll get together and throw them in the basement and have pizza. (laughs) 
margin. We've got to build it into our lives. We've got to build it into our relationships. And, and I'm no different than any of you. I've got to build margin into my relationship, into my time with my wife. And that's why next weekend we're going away. It's her birthday weekend. We're going away. And I need to, I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear it in context. Next weekend, I don't care what happens here. Because I'm going to be with my wife. We've created margin. I don't care what song you sing. I, I, that's fine. Do what you, I'm with my wife. And next weekend, outside of my relationship with God and being filled with the Holy Spirit, nothing, nothing matters than our time together. I have to build that margin into my life. And so here's what I wonder today. There was a day when we stood at an altar and we made a covenant with the other person. And what I wonder today is this. Is there anyone left that wants to fight for that covenant? Are there any people left? Are there any marriages left? Are there any spouses left that want to fight for that covenant? Are there any people, are there any couples that will raise their hand and say, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to give up. Even though our culture, even though our society says, as soon as it gets hard, as soon as it gets challenging, as soon as there's a fight, quit, give up, go away, run the other direction, find somebody else, find somebody else to invest in. I spoke with a friend this week and it's like trading one sack of trouble for another sack of trouble. Are you kidding me? Because when you do that, here's the thing that we concluded. You never get rid of that first sack of trouble. It still carries and haunts you and you still sling it over your shoulder as you're out perusing and carousing and doing whatever you do with somebody else's sack of trouble. Fight for the marriage you have. Fight for the marriage that you're given. Fight for the relationship where one day there was a day when you stood at the altar and you said, I do. Fight for it. In responding to those who've chosen to quit and give up and take the easy way out, Charles Swindoll writes this, every achievement, every achievement worth remembering, every achievement worth remembering is stained with the blood of diligence and scarred by the wounds of disappointment because they fought for their marriage. I believe in this so much, I want to help you take the first step. I want to help you take a first step today in fighting for your marriage. So here's something that, here, here's one tip, here's one clue that you can do. Today, sometime today, you and your spouse, 10 second kiss. Just kiss for 10 seconds. See what happens. Not responsible, I'm just saying. <laughs> we dedicate children, so it's cool. 10 second kiss. Ten-second kiss, you and your spouse. Ten seconds. Ten seconds to let the world waste away. Ten seconds for there to be nobody else but just the two of you. Ten seconds. And I guarantee you, one of you will count faster than the other. And you'll be called on it. Ten-second kiss. Here's the other thing. Um, believe in this so much. I've got a uh, $25 gift card to Olive Garden. Who wants it? You're going to fight for your marriage? You're going to get a date night with your husband? There you go, $25.
There you go. Try the 10-second kiss in Olive Garden, and maybe you get a free appetizer. I don't know. (laughs) Worth a shot. You know, the rest is up to you guys. I just want to know if someone's going to fight for their marriage. Because we're getting hit left and right. And the church is no different. Somebody, please, fight for their marriage. I'm convinced it's never too late to quit. Never too late to give up. I'm convinced of that because Christ in you is the hope of glory. He is our hope. And there are stories of redeemed people who have redeemed their marriages and redeemed people who have come back together to restore their homes. It's never too late to fight. Now I realize today that this message has been slanted in one direction. It's towards our married couples. And there are some of you here today that are single. And, and I've, I've weighed with that this week and I've wrestled with that this week. And, and here's what I would like to say to you. If you're here today and you're single and you're looking for a date, if you're actually out there um, in, in high school or in college and you're, you're thinking about your future and future husband and all that kind of stuff, or, or you're a young adult and you're looking at, at the future, here's a couple things that, that I want to say. First of all, and this is going to be hard and this is going to be harsh, but someone reminded me of it in the first service. If you're single today, leave the married people alone. You hear me? Husbands love your wives. Wives respect your husbands. Single people, butt out. Let the married people build their home. Sorry, I knew that was hard. Secondly, if you're single, Ephesians 5 is the model that you need to look for in somebody else's life. If you're pursuing a mate or you're looking for somebody or you're dating with somebody, if they don't live up to Ephesians 5, kick them to the curb. Go find somebody else. Find somebody else that will, that, will, that will make the Holy Spirit the most important thing of their life. Find somebody else that will honor and support and encourage and support you through the hard times. Find a relationship of mutual submission where husbands will love their wives and wives will love their husbands and they will journey together and they will fight for their marriage. If you're single today, and whether you're dating or not dating or you're a widow or a widower, would you pray for the marriages of this church? Would you pray for the marriages that are around you that need help? Would you join us and link arms together and pray for people that they would have strong homes and we would be a testimony to this world? You're single today. Some of you, some of you have resources some of you can, can open your home and be a babysitter for those couples who need a date, who need margin, but they've got four kids running around their house and they need help to get out. 
Can I tell you that the Olive Garden isn't real romantic when you're passing crayons back and forth? When you're playing the little game, filling the square and see how many squares I get, not what we'd call romantic. So would some of you, somebody please offer to babysit? And some of you have resources that, that could be very helpful and very beneficial. Some of you have, have hotel rooms or some of you have, have condos or some of you have timeshares that you don't use all the time. And you could give them up and you could say, you know what, I believe in marriage so much. I want you as a couple to go. A married couple, build margin in your life. Just go, go away, have fun, take care of it. I'll pay for it. This is a community thing. This is a us together thing. This is a church thing. Our worship team is going to come and we're going to speed to our communion. As we sing this next song to, to draw us into communion, I want to remind you that this table that we celebrate today, this table is a covenant that was made between God and us. And as you think through what God has done through this table, this table of redemption, this table of restoration, this table of healing, this table of hope, would you take that and apply it to your life and to your marriage? And what is God asking of you in your marriage? Where can you find margin to honor the covenant that you made with each other? Take a moment. Prepare your hearts through this song as we move towards communion.